when we pray, I always say to women, hold on to your womb. You know, sometimes we can cross our arms and put it in our hearts to embrace our heart, but take time to embrace your womb. Take your hands like this together and put them in your womb and send all these prayers to the generation of now, the generation of yesterday, and the generations of the future. And forgive, forgive because we don't know what was going on. We may never understand in our lifetime what was going on. But if something is bothering us, let it go. Prophecies have foretold and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Today, we have a very beautiful guest for you. Her name is Grandmother Flora de Mayo. She is a Mayan elder, and she has a seat on the Council of the 13 Indigenous Grandmothers. Grandmother Flora de Mayo was born with a gift of sight. She is a curandera. She is a healer, a helper, and a guide, and a wisdom carrier for our generation. She says, it has been prophesied that the women will have the power to move and to be leaders and to bring people into the light. Today, we talk about her journey of rising above the macho chismo culture of Central America, forgiving the masculine, forgiving her father, and using her gift of sight to find her spiritual teacher and become the incredible, beautiful, gifted woman that she is today, helping serve on behalf of Mother Earth. So without further ado, I give you Grandmother Flora de Mayo. Grandmother Flora de Mayo, it is always such an honor and a pleasure to be with you and to listen to you. Shana and I are so excited that you're here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so very much. I'm so honored and I'm so delighted that the sisterhood and both you, Lauren and Shana, give me the opportunity to be in that space where I can exercise my voice in absolute freedom. So I just want to say thank you that we as humans and we as women, uh, we go through this incredible journey of life. And many, many times we don't get to the tippy point in our lives where we have brought ourselves into this absolute state of freedom. So thank you for allowing me to be here. Mm. This is such an honor. Cheers to freedom for you, for us, for every single woman and being on this earth. Flora the Mayo, you were born with the gift of sight and 
you grew into being a curandera and a speaker internationally. Can you talk a little bit about your journey of being a little girl and having these visions and how you were raised and cultivated to be a message bringer for these times that we're living in? What I could say is that my life, even though my existence was in a very small household, my father died when I was two years old and I was raised by my mother and my older brothers and sisters. And so I had a huge amount of people that were always taking care of me. And I was pampered and I was just a totally spoiled kid. And I think that being the youngest, my mom had 15 children, but by the time I was born, she had 10 children. And so this was like the beginning of our journey. In 1945, my older brother came to the United States and we started traveling and migrating into the United States. And the reason for that was that my mother felt that with her daughters, she had five daughters, with her daughters in Central America, we don't have a chance and we do not have a voice. We don't have a voice to education. We don't have a voice to make decisions on who you want as a partner. You don't have a decision on how many children you want to have or if you want to have any. It's not an opportunity that we have as women. It's different for men, but my mom's biggest concern were her girls. So this is the, the reason why we migrated legally. We bought tickets. We wrote in for permission, you know, if we could come in. And this is the journey of us coming between 1945 and 1964. What was it like growing up with the gift of sight? and having visions? Yes, this is a very, very important question in my life. My older brothers and sisters were incredible intuitive. So was my mom. She was just so incredibly gifted in so, so many different ways. So the support that I had there was just absolutely incredible. Every conversation, every word was directed towards spirituality and how to develop and so I learned a lot from my older brothers and sisters. And of course, I learned a lot from my mother because at the age of four, it was known in the family that I had this way of seeing things. In any case, I remember very clearly seeing my father passed away. The wake is done in the house. The funeral is done the following day. Everybody was crying that he had passed away and I saw the burial and I knew that his body no longer exists. But at night I would see him in the house and in the bedroom. And so I had long conversations with my mom and my brothers and sisters about that. One interesting thing is that when I used to see my father, I could recognize in my mind and in my heart and all of my being that this was not an angelic being. This was not this beautiful being of light. This was a man that lived in a, a tough macho life in Central America. His temperament was very dominant and, you know, he did what he pleased. There was this light about him that if I did not know any better, if I did not have the support of my brothers and sisters, 
and my mother. It was not of the light. My whole journey with my father has been very, very interesting because his medicine was very, very powerful. But at the same time, he did things his way. And he didn't necessarily follow the laws of spirit. He certainly didn't follow the laws of man. He, he made his own rules and regulations. And it's the existence of machismo in Central America. So when you saw your father as a little girl, you saw the spirit of your father, you could tell even as a little girl, this is, this is not an angelic spirit. This is a spirit of someone who's suffered. Is that correct? That's correct. Not only that he suffered and lived in this mundane, hard life, but he was a man that was gifted and at the same time in this state of just trouble. It seemed like all his life, you know, he was just chronically a troubled person. And so it showed himself that way. And so I remember speaking mm. to my mother. And, you know, my mom's encouragement was, as anyone, to be forgiving and to pray for him, that he would find this liberation of, of not being earthbound, and to pray for him to go into the light and to follow the light. But I would imagine that one of the things that I think about, and he used to come into the bedroom of the younger children, which were three little sisters. And, and I believe in my heart that it was our light that attracted him because we were always praying, you know, and I can't speak for my older brothers and sisters, but we, the younger group, you know, prayed for his salvation, for him to move on. Wow. What a powerful experience as a young child to have the loss of a parent, first of all, and then the recognition that he's made of light. He has spiritual gifts, he's gifted, and he's troubled because of the nature of this world. That's so powerful. And, and perhaps also the responsibility of leaving a woman with 10 children. That also is a daunting, that would probably take you into, into the next world, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a difficult. What I do find so interesting about this is you hear so often people losing their parent really young and not really having a connection to them. And maybe a lot later in their life, they, they come around to really understanding that parent. And what I hear from what you're saying is that it was pretty early on that you got to really understand your father and what you carry as a part of also carrying his lineage, also having that machissimo culture in you. I have that in my blood as well. And I actually have recently been exploring. I'd love to go into this deeper at some point, because I think it's really important, actually, this machissimo that you carry within, because we come from it. Yeah, it's like in your DNA. Right. And uh, it's very destructive, very destructive. And so you use that even in your medicine. And it's very, very difficult. You know, the whole experience with my father, I would love to write a book because it takes me into my life as not only as an adult, but beyond being an adult and going into this absolute place of forgiveness because I inherited 
uh, some of his spiritual qualities. But at the same time, there was this other side where I was very uncomfortable with who he was, very uncomfortable in his uh, neglect. And what I mean by that is that when I was born, now my mom told me this on her deathbed when I was 18. My mom told me that my father had intentionally left the house before I was born when she became pregnant. And the reason that that happened, and it wasn't that that was not throughout my mom's life, that he had mistresses and mistresses and mistresses. He has a long story of how many children he fathered, okay? So just to give you an example, he fathered 15 children with my mother, but he fathered 10 children outside of the house, and he brought them to my mom to raise them. So in reality, I have 25 brothers and sisters, which is like an enormous, it, it's inconceivable. Your, your mind cannot even think about that. And I'm the baby. He's 50 years old. He's in this midlife crisis. And he falls in love with an 18-year-old girl. And he says to my mom, I need to have more children. And so I'm going to go live with this young girl. And when he came to see me that, you know, that I was born, he said to my mother, I don't, I don't recognize her. I will not recognize her. So here's my mom telling me this, you know, just before she's dying. She said to me, I have to tell you this. I can't, I can't die with this in my heart. And so that kind of catapulted me into this incredible period of like, what? of just this disbelief. And perhaps maybe four years later, he comes through in this way of materializing his body to one of the three sisters. And at this moment, we're all pregnant, having babies. We're like in our mid-20s. And he appears to one of my sisters and says to her, that he has to speak to me. And when my sister told me that, I said to her, I want nothing to do with him. Absolutely nothing. I will not allow him to even come into my field. I was so upset at him. But the incredible journey with that is that he was persistent, which was his temperament. His temperament was to be persistent. He was very persistent. And so he bugged my sister for about five days. And she said to me, you got to do something. He doesn't leave me alone. And I went into prayer and I said to him, I said, you could only come to me if what you are going to share with me is for the good of the family, is for the good of everybody, is for the good for you to move into the light, for the good for me to go into a place of forgiveness. Otherwise, don't bother me. You know, I'm not your little girl. I'm not anybody like that. So don't bother me. Well, I wanted to ask you because it seems that at this time, 25, I consider to be still pretty young. And I also know being at 25 myself, I had a difficult time with boundaries. And it seems like you had such clarity around the boundaries that you needed to put in place for your own well-being at that moment. 
And so I'm curious about how you had cultivated those boundaries. So when you're in prayer about it, how you were able to hold that? Well, it's very difficult. I have to tell you it's very difficult because whether your parent, one of your parents has been good or indifferent in your life, you always have this sense of love and forgiveness. Deep down inside of you, we could be upset, we could be angry, we could go through moments of hatred, we could go through moments of just releasing and being angry and blah, 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 however it is that we express ourselves. But deep down inside, we have this curiosity. Did the person really love me? You know, was I like at all a thought? We think about all of that. When I was young, very young. I remember having these difficult nightmares. And the nightmares that I had had nothing to do with any kind of holy being or non-holy being or anything like that. The area where I was born is surrounded by crystal. And so our house was placed like in a crystal bed. And I have some of the crystals here in my house. They're all over the street and they're all over the place. And and so the crystals that I was sitting on would take me on such a speed ride. When I wasn't even asleep and I'd be like out of my body. And it would, you know, if I didn't prepare myself, it would, um, how should I say, uh, it was pretty excruciating. And so I remember having large conversations with one of my older brothers, who was this, you know, incredible intuitive. And I said to him, you know, what is it about that? And he was like, I was like the baby sister. So, you know, he would start by saying, girl, you know, (laughs) you're sitting on a crystal bed. This is like, what's going on, you know? So just make sure you understand that before. And anything that happens to you, you're always in control, you know, so you Mm -hmm. have, you should not be afraid. You can experience the fear and you're experiencing it. But what you don't want to do is take the fear with you because then whatever the crystals are going to show you, it's going to not turn right. That was the beginning of my conversation with fear and entities and spirits that are indifferent, that are not of the light. Mm. And so I chronically protected myself every day and every night. And if I saw something, you know, with my physical eyes, that was not right. I had this tendency of kind of knowing when a man or a woman did not have like a clear intention. It was like something always told me inside of me that person is not right. And so it was through this practice, a very, very young practice. And so I learned to to guide myself uh, through that and make decisions of life, whether they were good or indifferent, and to accept them because I made the decision on, on following my intuition. I'm so grateful that you had that upbringing and you had that type of facilitation to teach you about what you were experiencing as a child. I can't even imagine what my life would have been like had I had a resource to guide me in that way. And I relate so deeply to the visions at a young age. And I also relate so deeply to what you're speaking about in relationship to your father. And right now my heart is so activated because I'm thinking about 
myself and all the women who are listening to this who've had these experiences with their father and with this wound of the masculine that is in our fathers due to society and how that's impacted us. And it feels so fitting that you've been called to share this story at this time because it's really that we're, as the feminine is rising, we're also healing the masculine. We're healing the wounds of the father in many ways. And wanted to bring it back to your conversation with your father that when you were 25 years old and his spirit came to visit you again and and what was that like and what have you learned about the healing of this relationship in your life i'm gonna tell the story but one of the things that the healing with this relationship is that we have to go into a place of forgiveness we have to be able to understand and we have to be able to let go and surrender these souls to the light, whether they are in the physical or the non-physical, but you have to surrender them. And I'm gonna share with everybody this journey. I've never shared it with anyone. This is like a first step, but it's important for our lives and for people to understand that here I am, I'm in my seventies, and it's only now that I feel an absolute freedom. I don't have any feelings in my heart of pain. I have no feelings of indifference. I have no feelings of discomfort. I just feel happy and I'm happy that I worked it out and to be able to release and to, and to accept him for his journey, which was a difficult journey. My relationship has been the short time of the two years of my life where he just left me and did not recognize me. He did not even want to give me his name. And he said to my mother, that girl is too light. She's not my daughter. I mean, that was the excuse, right? And so the journey continues and here I am, I'm 24, 25 years old and my older sister reaches a point of like, you better do something because I don't want this this man materializing in my bedroom every night. She didn't say this man, but she said my father. Uh, she said our father. And so um, I went into prayer and I, and I put down those rules. You know, you're not coming to me if it's not for the good. And so I prayed and I do not know how many days I prayed, if it was a week, if it was a month, if it was six months, I don't remember right now. But all I know is that my turn came that he materialized and he materialized in the middle of the day, like at 1 p.m. My father was like taller than the average person. You know, in Central America, you know, to be 5'8", five, 5'10", five, you're tall, you know, because we're all 4'11 and under. He was very, very dark skin, and his hair had like a wave in it. But as a female, I look exactly like him. I have his nose, his lips, his eyes, and I even have the curly hair to prove it. But somehow he did not see me as his child because he was in love with this 18 year old. And so he materializes and he materializes exactly as this 50 year old man. And the first thing he said to me, which was very respectful, that got me in, in a comfortable mode was, 
he said that he was grateful that I am giving him the opportunity to come and to show him. And so I, I told him that I really appreciated him saying that and that he was welcome, you know, to show me what he felt. And what he showed me was this panoramic vision that took the whole wall of my living room. And he showed me his life, him, his mom. His mom was 14 years old and she, she was in the area of Guatemala. And the man that she worked for raped her and she became pregnant. And she was so distraught. She had no support, had no family. And she walked, she walked from Guatemala. She ended up in Nicaragua. Uh, she wanted to be around nobody that she knew and she was alone and she tormented the baby. I mean, she, she was angry and she just, you know, he received all the blows that he could receive as a baby, as a, a growing young man. And he had this incredible heart feeling about women. And so he showed me on the journey that all of these things happened to him. He also showed me the unsettling relationships that he had as a teenager and how all he wanted to experience was whatever was good for him and his way. And he had this mental thinking that if he fathered children, that these children might be better than he ever was, you know, and that they would have a better life than he ever did. And so he had this conflicting thinking. And towards the end of this panoramic scenery at, that he took me throughout his life, um, he called on my mother. And my mother ascended from the heavens. I saw her coming from the clouds. And my mother ascended in front of him. And he asked my mother for forgiveness. I mean, it was just this incredible, incredible, if you can imagine this macho man humbling himself and crying and, and begging her to forgive him so that he can just go into the light. And I remember that it took my mom such a long time. And I was standing behind my mother, giving her strength and pouring in the goodness to forgive him. But my mom must have died, you know, with this anguish in her heart about him, you know, raising his 25 children, you know, it must have been an incredible life. And yet, you know, my mom was very warm and very loving and very caring, you know, throughout her life and very forgiving. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely very forgiving. And whenever she spoke of my father, she always spoke to him with just love in her heart. She never pitied him. She never said, oh, you know, the poor guy, you know. I never heard her say that. But at that moment, it took my mom a long time to, to say to him, yeah, go on your way, I forgive you. Whatever it was, the words that they had together. And then she, she left, you know, she just went. And then he thanked me. 
The interesting part about all of this, Shana and Lauren, this is the human nature in us, okay? I had all of this experience. I had all of this guidance, and yet my heart was not accepting it. I'm a young married woman. I'm in the beginning of my life. And I think about the brutality that might have happened or that went on in my, in my life. And I think about my marriage, my new marriage. I just celebrated 53 years with my husband. Wow. But I thought about it and it bothered me. It really, really bothered me. And I thought to myself, could it be possible that I can experience this in my life? Could it be like, like a family thing? So I went through this um, anguish. When I met my teacher, Don Alejandro, he said to me, and I have not said anything to him. My, my teacher is still alive. He's 90, 96 years old. Wow. Bless his heart, Don Alejandro. He looked at me and he said to me, daughter, he said, you got some kind of stuff, grief going on with your dad. He said, you know, you can't, you can't walk with me if you got this in your heart. So I said to him, Don Alejandro, I have not spoken to you about this. He said to me, you don't have to speak to me about it. He said, I know. And so I said to him, what do you recommend I do? This is a real tricky situation between teacher and student, okay? Because a lot of the times the student feel, oh, I'm just going to do it my way. Oh, you know, his way might not matter. But I took him as a spoken word and I respected him. And what he said to me, I want you to go home. I want you to go talk to your father. And I want you to just finish off whatever it is that you have to finish off with your father. So I said to him, when do you want me to go? And he said to me immediately, I'm in Guatemala. I'm up in the highlands of Guatemala. I'm like 10 hours away from my home by plane, by train, by taxi, by rickshaw. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so far away. And I said to him, thank you. I will do that. So, and I was on my sacred walk. I'm on my sacred journey with my teacher. And he sends me home. So I leave. I find my way out of there, go to the capital, take a plane, go to Nicaragua. From there, travel up north and go to, to my home. And I knocked on the door of my grandmother's house and my brother, this very intuitive brother of mine, who is like my twin, he passed away already, but you know, he's like my twin. He's like 10 years older than me, but he was just like, we were like together. We could read our minds really, really clearly. And he was an incredible teacher of mine. So I knocked on the door and it was like 11 o'clock. And he says to me, sister, what are you doing here? And I said to him, you know, Don Alejandro sent me. So, you know, let me come inside. Let's, I'll tell you what happened. Cause I was like outside the door, you know? And so I come in and I, I talked to him, but then he said, you know, I'm so happy you're here. Welcome. Make yourself, you know, comfortable and blah, 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 blah. The following day I wake up early and my brother is freshly roasting some coffee beans and he adds cinnamon stick to it and probably a little bit of cloves 
and he's roasting everything and I can smell it. And I just thought, man, oh man, there's nothing like homemade coffee in Central America or in Nicaragua. And he roasted it in a ceramic pot on the open fire. It was just so yummy. And so he grinds it and he makes me a cup of coffee. And I'm sitting outside looking at his little garden and I'm sitting very, very riggedy chair and the table has about maybe 20 layers of paint on it. You could, you could see all the different colors of paint on it. And I'm sitting on one end of the table. And my brother by that time said to me, I'm going to go for prayer. I'm going to go towards the cemetery, he said, because there are some souls that need prayer. And so he said, I will be right back. I'm, I'm going to go for prayer. Right back in Central America could be a year from now, you know, but that's the way we talk, you know. Uh, so I said to my brother, I said, thank you for the coffee. I said, I'll, I'll see you when you're back. And so I'm sitting there sipping on the coffee and all of my life I wore either sunglasses because I'm sensitive to the light and I put my glasses down on the table and I'm looking at my coffee, but all of a sudden I look up and on the other side of the table is my father, fully, fully three-dimensional, fully materialized. He reaches over and he grabs my glasses and he puts the Ray-Bans on. And I smiled at him and in my mind, I thought he is so vain. And I told him, I said to him, you are so vain. And he smiled at me. And so we start the dialogue and I said to him, I've been sent here. I said, by Don Alejandro. I said, I still feel that we have something that I need to talk to you about. I said, because I want to finish my spiritual journey with my teacher and I don't want to have any more issues or pain or anything like that. And so we spoke and he just, you know, he stood there with the glasses and towards the end, he said, daughter, I'm in peace with everything that you said. But of course, I got to share with everybody that I scolded him. I told him everything that was in my heart. And I told him how difficult it must have been for my mother and how difficult it must have been for the other women and how difficult it must have been for all the children. But at the same time, I wanna thank you for the gifts that you gave me, the gift to be able to see you, the gift to be able to see you materialize, the gift to be able to communicate with you in this way that you have been dead for, you know, whatever length of time you've been gone. And I'm here, you know, to tell you that I love you and I'm so happy that we're doing this together. And so I thanked wow. him. I thanked him and in front of my eyes, he disappeared, he just faded. And the glasses I remember came down and made this loud noise, you know how, metal glasses when you drop them on a wooden table they make this noise and i felt relieved i mean i felt like just lifted and then i heard the phone ringing in inside my brother's house and so the phone wouldn't stop ringing so i ran over and i picked up the phone and it was don alejandro and he said to me daughter we're right now at cuatro caminos which is like the cross of the road in guatemala right 
And uh, he said, how are you doing? And I said, I think I'm finished. And so he said, good, good. So come on back. He goes like this. Now, you know, everybody knows I'm not going to be there for another 12 hours, right? So then pretty soon my brother comes and he's, you know, feeling really good because he said some good prayers and and he said that there was an unquietness, you know, at the cemetery that people, you know, somebody had died with, with just a lot of grief and that he was clearing the energy out there. And so we talked about it for a little bit. And then he looked at me and he said, and how about you? How did you make out? So I told him and I said, hey, I said, Don Alejandro called me. I said, and so we're meeting. So I said to him, so I'm leaving. I said, I'm going to leave in a, in a, as soon as I can. I'm just going to go to the bathroom and leave. He said to me, sister, what phone are you talking about? So I said to him, the phone over there, I said, that you have in that room. And he smiled at me. He said to me, sister, I don't own a phone. So I waited a minute and I said to my brother, I said, give me your hand and let me show you where the phone is. And there was no phone there. There was no physical phone there. And I remember picking up like an old fashioned phone. Anyway, to make a very long story short, I made it to Cuatro Caminos. And as soon as I got off the public bus, Don Alejandro was there. And he's, he was very happy for me. He said, did you do your mission? And I said, I did. And ever since then, I've been, you know, I can speak about my father. I can, you know, speak it in this absolute way of just freedom and, and having a completion. And we can do that even when a person is not with us. The thing is not us having an agenda, but being open-minded as to all the possibilities, what could have happened in the past, you know, that made this person the way this person is. We're very moved. I'm speaking for Shana on this because I know we're both very moved by this story. Tears definitely came through because it's such a powerful reminder of the ancestral trauma that keeps passing itself on. And if we had the capacity to have someone's spirit materialize and show us the entire vision of their life, would it be easier for us to understand and to forgive? And when Don Alejandro said to you, it's time for you to release this grief, this anguish you have with your father. I really felt that. And I felt that not only for me, but for so many of us. And it actually brings tears to my eyes right now, how important that is Yeah, for us to forgive and to forgive with our entire bodies, not just with our minds, like to release the, the trauma, which is manifest as grief in our bodies and what that is going to do and is doing for the collective, the future generations and just our collective as a whole in these these really powerful times where we're waking up and we're realizing that healing is so needed and we're coming together having these conversations and we're doing the work so to do it in the name of the families in the name of the ancestors in the name of just releasing all of this trauma that we go through and none of us are immune it doesn't matter if we live in a monastic existence. The life is hard. And all we have to do is read about or hear about those people that are in the monastic life, monastic existence, and the responsibilities that they have and what they go through. So when we pray, I always say to women, hold on to your womb. 
you know, sometimes we can cross our arms and put it in our hearts to embrace our heart, but take time to embrace your womb. Take your hands like this together and put them in your womb and send all these prayers to the generation of now, the generation of yesterday, and the generations of the future. And forgive, forgive because we don't know what was going on. We may never understand in our lifetime what was going on. But if something is bothering us, let it go. I have had a very, very difficult life, a very lonely life. That's the reality. When we live in these dual worlds of the physical and the invisible, we go through a lot of trial and tribulation. It's not like everything is perfect, but if we're committed, if our engagement, if our marriage, if our commitment, if our vow is between you and God, the mother, the father, the beloved, goddess, we have to then allow ourselves to live in a state of absolute freedom and enjoy the love between yourself and the beloved. I'm curious, Flor de Mayo, I know from personal experience how having relationship in the unseen realm can be isolating. And I'm curious about what you can say to women who are listening and, and anyone who is listening that has, you know, encounters that society would tell us are not real or crazy or whatever the language happens to be at the time, kind of shunning this world of the unseen. I'm curious about what your message is for these people. We, we have to keep moving. And what I mean by that is to know the realization. We're physical and we're children of the light. We're spirit. And we can't, both of those are together. We can't separate ourselves. We can't say I'm only, you know, I'm only a, a, a human, okay? I mean, a rock has light. A tree has light. The animals have light. Everything, it's, we have this dual existence, the invisible and the physical. If we believe so strongly in our hearts as to who we are and how we walk, and it's an incredible journey. It's an incredible, painful journey. And what that means is that you have to keep looking forward. You have to keep looking at the road and you have to keep moving. You have to be strong. And the strength comes from having this one-on-one -on -one relationship with God because the goddess is always calling us. And in my lifetime, I have heard the beloved mother say to me, Flor de Mayo, Keep walking. Your path is clear. And so I invite those that I can have that, those that can accept me as not of their property. There is no organization. There is no human being. There is no master teacher, not a husband, not children, nothing. Nothing will move me from what I'm doing. How did you cultivate your connection with the goddess so clearly and so devoutly? I want to pause here and have you illuminate how that relationship came into being because I feel 
so many of us are searching or for something deep to believe in and to hold on to and the great mother in my life has been my guiding force and has been present for many of the women we interview and many of the women who are a part of the global sisterhood and still to move into like complete and utter faith of listening to what you believe spirit is telling you only following that how did you cultivate that what what i did is that i said in my heart and in my prayers you know beloved mother i want to know you i want to see you and if we hold that in a prayer and if we have the passion and the devotion to spend and to call on this being she will come to you and i have seen her as this incredible light i have seen her with incredible definition of like a goddess like like we would see like goddesses from india like that and i would see her like a wave of light moving and i have seen her also like a very very oversized over large female totally totally naked and and making whispering sounds you know out of her mouth and it's you know either way that she comes to us she lives in the 40 acres and she's this big big brown kind of woman that's made out of adobe and every time I see her, she would be like looking at the stars and not not humming, not doing the murmurio like, you know, that I do. But she's whistling. She's going, she's moving like the wind out of her mouth. And so what I do when I call her is that I make sound like the wind or the murmurio. And I embrace her in my heart. What's the... I don't even know how to say it. Murmurio? Yes, it's the, the humming sound, the lullaby. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. goes like this, uh, Lauren. But, you know, if we hold our hearts, like put our left hand in the heart and the right one in the heart, okay? This is the union here. The Father is the heart of the heavens, and we call the heart of the heavens to come in through the crown. And the Mother is the heart of the earth, and we ask her to come through from the ground up into our being and into the heart and so they meet at the heart so we embrace our hearts okay we can do the the murmurio and you could feel the love entering from the mother father and this is who the goddess is she's both she's the mother and the father mother father she is the creator of all things and so when i do the murmurio and i hold my heart immediately I see this beautiful, beautiful light in front of me. And that's all, that's all we, that's all we can ask for is that acknowledgement that we see this beautiful light when we close our eyes and we know that we are in the presence of the beloved mother. Okay. So let's try it, huh? Sure. Okay. Do it. Inhaling, thinking about the heart of the heavens moving through our crown as we inhale and exhale we envision the heart of the earth coming through the sole of our feet continuing to breathe and inhale and exhale and as soon as we feel that 
the energy is in the heart. We start with the murmurio. And the murmurio is done. We breathe in our nose and we make a humming sound with our mouth closed. And it goes like this. Thank you, beloved mother, creator, maker of all of this beauty that is around us. The beauty of the mountains, the beauty of the heavens, the beauty of the sacred waters, the sweet water, the salty water, beloved creator. Thank you for all the beauty that you are, the flowers, the plants, the trees, all of the animals, the seen and the unseen, beloved creator. Thank you for the beauty that you bring into our hearts. And thank you for allowing us to shed our tears because our life with you is so beautiful. May we continue to walk with you in your path and you show us the way into the future for the future generations, beloved beauty. Thank you in the beautiful way that you touch our hearts and you come to us and remind us that to be playful in life and to be loving and to be forgiving and to take care of, of all that exists, that in the water, that in the air, the physical and the non-physical beloved creator. You're the creator of all things. You're the mother, you're the father. You're the grandmothers and the grandfathers. You're the spirit of all of our ancestors, beloved beauty, thank you. In the name of all and the great mystery, beloved beauty, I thank you. This one last question is around the time of the feminine and the different prophecies that speak about the times we're living in, specifically from the Mayan tradition, wanting to hear about what this time, the time of the feminine, what this means to you from the tradition that you've studied in and grown up in? Yes, it uh, starts with 12-21-12, when uh, the calendar went into the year zero. Uh, for many, many years, Don Alejandro uh, spoke of, um, of this period of time, and it came like at four o'clock in the morning on 12-21-12. Exactly at four o'clock in the morning, we did ceremony here at the 40 acres. And at that moment, we were told that what had been going on with the ruling of the male image for the past, I don't know if they were talking about if it was like 500 years, but I know it was like quite a bit of years, okay? And, um, what we were told at that particular time is that it was the time where women should be acknowledged and recognized for their leadership and that women need to be reminded that it is their turn to make things better for humanity. And some of the women received staffs a staff is represented for leadership. If it's like in your chart, 
your cosmic chart, your Mayan chart of, of life to carry a staff. And a staff was uh, given to me to carry on and to do the work with the women at that time. And I initiated perhaps maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of less than 15 women with the staff. And so that's the way that it happened. I have a staff that I've carried around the world, maybe for the past 30 years, different staffs. And when I do that, I take the opportunity to bless those people that need to be blessed and encourage them to, to carry a staff because the staff reminds us that the road is straight, okay? The staff reminds us that no matter how tired we are, we could lean on it, okay? And the staff reminds us that when we walk, you know, we are leaders. And that's the beauty of it. And it, it, it has been prophesized. And also in the book of creation, you see an image at this period of time, a woman, a figurine of a woman with the staff, and she's holding it above her head. Yeah, to show everybody that, you know, we're liberated and we're leaders. And so, you know, just look into your heart. Thank you so much, Grandmother Flordemayo. Of course. Now you, we have to remember that there's always the action. So you got to act on it, you know? Right. You can't just pray. You got to pray and act and do. So we ask this to every guest. If the Great Mother were to have a message for you to share with our audience, what would she like you to say? Just do it in absolute freedom. Don't hold anything back. Don't take things so serious. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if, if somebody looks at you and says, hmm, it doesn't matter. What matters is the beauty that we feel in our hearts, our relationship with creation, and we feel good about everybody, and we send love to everybody and we take care of things, everything around us, taking care of the wild animals, taking care of our uh, own pets, take care of your family, take care of your community, be mindful with the environment, be mindful um, in doing the right thing and a good thing. You can't do everything. Even if you planted one little flower, you're, you're doing something. Even if you recycle, you're doing something. Just think about doing something and do it according to your means and your ability. So we can only do what we can do. Thank you, Grandmother Florida Mayo. It's always such a pleasure and an honor. And we cannot wait for women to hear. Thank you to you. I just want to tell you that I love what you're doing. And I just love your audience. Thank you so, so very much. Thank you. It's always so nice to receive a blessing from an elder who we admire and look up to so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Much love and light. Thank you so much for listening to the Time of the Feminine podcast. To learn more about our special guest, Grandmother Florida Mayo, you can head over to our website at grandmotherfloridamayo.com. You can also find her on Instagram at grandmotherfloridamayo. She has beautiful teachings, courses, as well as things you can purchase, like a plant bath ritual that a friend purchased for me that I absolutely loved. And in terms of us, the global sisterhood, 
We are a movement of women around the world, gathering together in women's circles and leading facilitator trainings to teach you how to lead in these new times. You can learn more about us at globalsisterhood.org or on Instagram at The Global Sisterhood. It's such an honor and a privilege to get to speak to you. Thank you.